Man, I'll just say it publicly. I love you too. Uh, being here has meant the world um, to Ashley and me. And we leave very differently than the way that we came. Uh, we've been shaped and changed in a lot of ways by being a part of this community. And, uh, and he did ask just to say a word about what we're going back to. It's actually going back to the church that we left when we came here. And it's the church that I've been working with on and off since the time I was 19 years old. I was an intern with their youth group when I was 19. Uh, so basically a member of the youth group myself, but working with these kids and have just continued to go back and they've invited us to come. Uh, and basically the word that they've asked me is said, can you, can you teach us the heart of what you've learned at Seven Mile Road? Uh, I sat with them and I shared some of the passion of what, I'm, what I've learned and what I've been shaped by here. And they say, we want our DNA to look like that. We want to be a church planting church that's for our city. And we don't have anybody like that. Would you come back and would you help us learn And this is coming a lot from an old historic church. This is a historic landmark downtown Houston right in the center. Uh, Sam Houston was a member at this place. And to have them saying, we want the DNA of a place like that, um, it was something so exciting that Ashley and I just said, we can't, we can't not, we can't not do it. So we go with excitement, but we go uh, just saying that, yeah, we are, we are overwhelmed by having been here. And I think the hardest thing for us thinking about leaving is not being here. Um, so thanks for giving me another opportunity to preach. It's my joy. Um, five years ago in the summer of 2005, I was leading a mission trip with that very group from First Pres, Houston. And uh, we were in a place called Catadupa, Jamaica, which is in the mountains, in the, in the kind of the jungle area of the mountains in Jamaica. And I, gr- I had a group of 12 students in my small group, and we we had a work project for the week, which was to build an outhouse. Um, and so we were building an Yeah, exactly. That was kind of my response. I was like, okay. Uh, so it was a family that didn't have any facilities. And the request was, we, we need somewhere to use the restroom. And so we trekked through this jungle, me and these 12 students, and we got to this little house that this man had built himself with his own two hands. And there in the backyard was a big hole and a pile of lumber, and some old bent nails, and some old tools. And we didn't have a plan. The missions agency had given me no plan. I'm no handyman. And so I'm looking at a hole in the ground in the middle of the jungle in Jamaica, and a pile of old wood and bent nails. And I was going, no way. (laughs) No way. And uh, to make matters worse, every afternoon, a huge storm would blow through in the jungle area of Jamaica. And so there would be blowing wind and strong rain in your face as you're working. So I'd have these students, and I'm trying to keep their spirits up. We can do this, we can do but I've got no plan, and I don't have the right tools, and it's old lumber, and there's rain in our face. And it was in that moment where I, I began to despair, and I thought this. I have not been given the tools necessary to accomplish the task at hand. I was so frustrated. I was frustrated with the missions organization. I was frustrated with my scenario. I was frustrated that I was trying to lead this group and going, I don't have what it takes to do what I've been asked to do. And honestly, I think that when Christians begin to be serious about their Bible, start to read what the Bible calls us to, there are times where we can feel that way. At least there's times where I've felt that way. Um, when we start to read about the very high calling of the Bible on our lives, a call towards real holiness, towards walking with God in a real way, and then we look at our lives and we look what's going on around us, there are oftentimes that sinking feeling, I don't know if you've ever felt it, where you go, I don't have the tools necessary to be the person 
that I've been called to be. Just as an example, a few verses that if you were to flip through your New Testament, I just wrote these down yesterday. Things that we're called to. In 1 Peter, it says, Obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You know, holiness is one of these church words, but that holiness is what God is. Seated on his throne, he's so radically different and perfect and pure that the angels in his presence all day long can say nothing but holy, holy, holy. And then God turns and he looks at his people and says, likewise, be holy, different, pure, walk with me. Romans says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our mind should be so radically changed that we can see what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 John 3 says this, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. 2 Corinthians, we have these promises. Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement. The list goes on and on. I could keep reading. But when we begin to read our New Testaments and our Bibles as a whole and say, what is it that God has called me to? There are times where we might read it and go, it doesn't add up. The way that my life looks, the struggles that I feel, the tools that I feel like I have in my hands, I don't think I have what it takes. And the question I want to pose for us this morning is, do we have what it takes? Has God given us the tools for godliness, for holiness? Or have we been left in the jungle with the, with the rain beating against our face going, I don't know. I don't know. And in order to answer that question this morning, we're going to run to the scriptures. So that's where we should go with all of our most pressing questions and allow God's word to shape the way that we think about it. And the place that we're going to go is what Dan read for us earlier from Ephesians 1, 15 and following. And I'll just give you a little bit of context so we're not jumping in uh, with, with no understanding of what's going on. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And in a lot of ways, they're a church stuck in the jungle with the rain in their face. Uh, it's a young church and a difficult place to be a Christian. It's a place where there's a lot of gods. Uh, there's a lot of people worshiping a lot of different things. Uh, there's actually been a lot of sorcery and magic in this area. And so there's demonic oppression, just scary stuff going on in Ephesus. And you've got this young church surrounded by people that say, you can worship any God you want, but just don't tell me that there's only one way to God. And here's this Ephesian church saying, we believe in Jesus as the son of God. A difficult place to be, no doubt wondering if they've got what it takes. And Paul writes them this letter in the first three chapters of this letter All he's doing is helping them understand who they are, what tools they've been given. It's as if the apostle pastor, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing them to say, let me explain to you what has been given to you, what you do have at your disposal, so to speak. And we're going to pick up in verse 15. This is a prayer that Paul is praying for his people. And you'll see that there's one pressing prayer that he prays that has three glorious implications. So see if you can pick that out with me as we read. Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule, authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul, right off the bat, in his pastoral prayer for these people, what they need most, he prays, He says, I've heard of your faith, I know of your love, and so I'm praying for you. And in verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Paul, looking at people in a difficult position, wondering if they've got what it takes, doesn't pray for their circumstances. To follow through with our analogy, he doesn't pray that the rain would stop and that they would have better wood or that the that the circumstances would shift, but he actually prays that they would have more knowledge of God. This is a really incredible notion. The most pressing prayer need that you and I have is to see God more clearly. There are a lot of things in life that we can start to believe that if I'm really going to walk with God, this high calling on my life, then all these other circumstances have to change. Some of us feel like maybe it's We've got a rough marriage. Things are are not good with our spouse. And so it's really hard to think in the midst of this relationship, how can I really feel that I'm walking with God and growing in holiness when the person that I live with doesn't respect me or we don't interact very well? Or we we have this long litany of things that are the jungle, so to speak, that make it difficult for us to walk with God, just like the Ephesians did. But Paul, when he writes to them and says, I've got a pastoral prayer for you. He doesn't write them and say, I pray that all these people that are giving you a hard time will stop giving you a hard time. He didn't write and say, I pray that everything will line up and the sun will always shine on you and everything will be perfect. He says, I pray that you would see God. And the truth is that as we start this morning wrestling with, have we been given the tools necessary to live a life of godliness? The first most pressing prayer need that we have is that we would see God more clearly. I love that just after he says, this is what I'm praying for you, that you would have the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your heart opened or enlightened. It's a beautiful phrase because if the eyes of our heart are opened, we see far beyond what the eyes of our face see. When we see God first, the way that we then see the world changes radically. We no longer see things at surface level, but we see more that's going on. And he explains this in three specific ways. Three things that happen when the eyes of our heart are enlightened and we begin to see the world around us the way that God sees it. Three things happen, and that's what we're going to talk about, really settling finally on the third. But I'll make, a, I'll make mention of the first two. Um, he says in verse 18, having, or, yeah, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. When the eyes of our heart are enlightened, when we see God first, 
when we're really turning our gaze to God first, the first thing that happens is that we begin to have hope in the midst of the circumstances. The circumstances aren't shifting and changing, but now we see that there's hope. And this is what Matt preached about last week. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're told that that there's hope even beyond death. That because Jesus came, died on a cross, was laid in a grave, and was raised again, we have tremendous hope. So much so that when we're watching someone that we love waste away from cancer, with the eyes of our face, we see a very devastating reality. Something where we would go, certainly everything has fallen apart. How can I continue to walk with God in the midst of this? But when we turn our gaze to God first and the eyes of our heart are enlightened, we see even hope in the midst of the most devastating circumstances because brokenness, sin, and ultimately death itself will be swallowed up when Jesus comes again. So the first most pressing prayer is that we see God. And when we do, we're going to have hope no matter the circumstances. The second thing that he says is that... um, Following along in verse 18b, it says, And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So when we see God first, we'll see hope, but even more so we'll see what is the glorious inheritance in the saints. I kept thinking about that. The first few times I read it, I misread it. And I read that when I see God first, I'll see that I have a glorious inheritance. I kept thinking, yeah, I'm going to inherit some glorious things. And I kept reading, trying to figure out, I'm going to be rich someday, or I'm going to have my mansion in heaven. But I kept reading it, and I realized his inheritance, his refers to God in that phrase, that we will see his glorious inheritance in the saints. When we start to look at God first, when we turn our direction, our gaze upon the Lord, when we set our lives towards him, that we would walk with him every day, not only do we have hope in the midst of our in our hard circumstances, but we actually start to see in the church around us God's glorious inheritance. Rob, you are God's glorious inheritance. He's waiting to bring you home with him that you are what he is going to inherit as his glory, that a redeemed sinner welcomed home by my grace. I have shaped you, reshaped you, and brought you home with me. So much so that when I become a part of the community of believers, no longer do I just see with the eyes of my face just the people that have happened to stumble into this church on this Sunday or become a part of this community. But when the eyes of my heart are enlightened, each individual that I see is part of God's glorious inheritance. Ernie, part of God's glorious inheritance. And it is to my great honor to get to know the people around me because they are God's glorious inheritance. The eyes of our heart enlightened, we realize that we have been entrusted with an incredible resource because of the people on our right and our left that are journeying through this process with us. That is incredible. That is a paradigm shift that we will not see if we're just looking with the eyes of our face. So, Those are the first two things, and and really where Paul settles and where he puts his energy is in the third, and that's where I want to put my energy as well. Um, So Paul is saying, let's just reorient ourselves. We're asking the question, do we have what it takes for godliness? And Paul, in praying this prayer that we would see God first, says three things will happen. You'll have hope, 
you'll see around you the glorious inheritance. But then finally, and this is where Paul just gets radical. And it's, it's awesome. Verse 19, he says this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? That's, that's a power verse. In verse 19, Paul just used six different words, all unique and different, for what it means to be powerful. It's, it's almost as if Paul, in writing this letter, he's trying to communicate a message to these people, and it's like he breaks out the thesaurus, and he goes, I'm just going to exhaust this thing all at once so that people will realize something is going on here. The first word that you read, he says this, immeasurable. The, Matt did a beautiful job with the, the kids down front. Immeasurable. Um, this is the only time, or this is only a word used by Paul. It's used four times in the New Testament. And it means that if you were to say, this line is what, what measures greatness, this line equals great. Immeasurable is, it, it shoots even past that. So he sets off and he says, it's immeasurable. You can't, if you were to say, this is the great line, it goes flying by that. But the next word, he says, immeasurable greatness. So immeasurable, you're flying by. The second word that Paul uses, it's the only time in the whole Bible that the word is used. And it means exceedingly great. And so he takes one word that means, I just flew past the greatness line. And then he takes another word, the only time it's used in the Bible, and says, exceedingly great. You can see that Paul's being redundant. He's saying, it's kind of like the football coach that gets fired up. He gathers all the guys in and he just starts using the same phrase over and over, but he slightly changes it, trying to get them fired up. You're going to tackle them and you're going to hit them and you're going to go after them. And you're, and you're like, all right, coach, I got it. Paul longing for the people to understand the message is going, I'm just going to hit you with one after another, immeasurable greatness. And then he follows up and he says this, um, the immeasurable greatness of his power according to the working of his great might. That word for working means with all the energy inside of him, spinning with the working of his great might. Six times over, Paul says, the third implication when you start to see God first is power, power, power. The great power of God entrusted to us who believe. And as if that is not enough to say it six times over, in the following verse, he hits us with this haymaker. And he says, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule, authority, power, and a dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That power six times over that Paul says is entrusted to you who believe is the very same power that took a cold, dead Jesus, brought him to life walking out of the grave. And not only that, not only did it triumph over death, but then raised him to the heavenlies and seated him at the right hand of God. And not only that, but then put every name that has ever been named in this age. And not only that, but in the age to come under that name. That power from the grave to the heavenlies with everything subjected under him, that is the power that is yours in the gospel. When I read that, my first reaction uh, is to just get, 
I just want to jump out of my skin. You've got to be kidding me. And then I followed up with, really? Do I, really? My life is pretty average and mundane. Does the power that raised Jesus from death to seated in the heavenlies, is it, is it really mine? I think, honestly, our mindset is a lot like the mindset of an elephant. Um, let me explain. I think the reason it is hard for us, hard for us to believe that that power has been entrusted to us is, is much like the story of the elephants in the Ringling Brothers Circus. Um, there actually have been some lawsuits against Ringling Brothers because they have said that they've mistreated the elephants in the circus. And this is why. When an elephant is really young and is brought into Ringling Brothers, uh, every time that they show up in a new town and about to put on the big show, before the show starts so that the elephants aren't running amok, they uh, bring them off the truck. And these little baby elephants, when they're just brought into the Ringling Brothers Circus, they'll take about a two-foot stake and they'll drive it deep into the ground and they'll take a big, thick chain, and they run it around the stake, and then they run it around the leg of the baby elephant. So that the elephant, in all of its energy and excitement, it's finally off the truck, and it wants to run wild, but it pulls, and this chain would rub into the hide of the elephant. But, you know, just like a child, this baby elephant doesn't realize, and he just continues to fight with great exuberance and excitement. I'm going to go, and I'm going to run. And the, this chain would wear all the way down, until the, there was a, a gaping wound. It, it happens a lot in these baby elephants where it would be red and tender and the elephant would be yelping, pulling against the chain. Interestingly, when that same baby elephant would be fully grown, so 10 or 12,000 pounds, five or six tons, no longer did the Ringling Brothers Circus have to drive a two-foot stake into the ground and put a big chain around its foot. Interestingly, when they come to town with a huge 12,000-pound elephant, people who run the circus put a small wooden stake and a little rope around the front leg of the fully grown elephant. And the reason is this. Elephants don't forget. And so they stand out front with a tiny wooden stake and a little rope around their leg, and they would never, ever, ever pull against it because they remember the pain. And so here's this elephant broken all the way down with the scar in its hide with the little rope. And it goes, I'm not going to pull because I remember the pain of this. And so they just stand. 12,000 pounds of elephantine power just stands held back by this little rope. And honestly, I think that when I read a verse like this one, a power verse, Six times over, elephantine power entrusted to those who believe. I think, I don't believe it because I wear the scars of the times when I've tried to leave things behind in the past. What I mean is this. Some of you feel like, yeah, I know I've been called to holiness. I know that those verses you read at the beginning that, God has called me to something, to walk with him in a real way, to lay down the passions of my past, to walk in real relationship with him. But I have been worn down by being pinned to the earth for so long that I don't really think that I can live without it. I don't think I can live a new and a different life. Some of you, maybe it's, 
maybe it's you, you speak with a deceptive tongue. You just, your common default is to lie. And it has become such a rhythm in your life. It has pinned you down so many times that you don't think you could really walk free from that and truly speak with honesty and truth in your words. Some of you, maybe it's your default mode is just to tear people's reputation down, to say some awful things behind their back because you're socially connected and you know people and that's just default mode. When you hear something good, you pass it on and you'd think, I couldn't break that, that habit in my life. Some of the men in the life of our church, you may be addicted to pornography and think, I've tried to leave this behind before, but it has rubbed me raw and I cannot, I cannot leave this and live a new life. And we begin to believe the lie much in the way the elephant believes the lie and think, even though I am 12,000 pounds, I'm still pinned to the earth. Brothers and sisters, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in those who believe the gospel. Don't continue to be victims to a defeated foe. In saying that, I run the risk of two things. One, of you believing, okay, I've got the power of Jesus working in me. I am an elephant, and I'm going to run free. And it, it becomes this mentality of, I am going to go do it. Let me make this point very clear. Paul was a Texan. And what I mean by that is this. <laughs> Ephesians. When you read through Ephesians, every time you read the word you, it's actually y'all. Uh, there are no singular pronouns in Ephesians. Every time Paul says in this passage, I have heard of your faith, that's y'all's faith, and the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not, give, I do not cease to give thanks for y'all, remembering y'all in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give y'all a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I could go on. It's always always, always, plural. You, as an individual, do not have the power of the elephant and far more so the power of the resurrection. Yes, it is working in you, but it is working in y'all. And so, if you feel like you are in chains... If you feel like you are in chains, the takeaway of this message is not go back and pray and think I'm going to look at God more and I'm going to do this. If that's all there is, if you're fighting something on your own, you're defeated before you start. You have to have real community around you to tap into the resurrection power of the gospel. You have to. And so what that means is, if any of you are dealing with a sin pattern in your life, if any of you feel like you are pinned to the ground by something that nobody in the world knows about, you are in the most dangerous place possible. The darkest places of your heart, the the healthiest, most free place you could ever be is that those dark, secret places would be laid bare for the community to see so that they could enter into that place with you and that you together could experience the power of the resurrection so that you could walk in holiness.
If you're not in a soul care community, I would encourage you, run towards one. If you're not engaged in small group accountability where people know your heart and your sin and your life, you are robbing yourself of the power of the resurrection, six-fold power offered over to us. Let us not cut it off because we say, I'm going I'm to take care of this one on my own. Secondly, this is not a matter of the will. This is not a matter of together, I'm going to share with you, you share with me, and then we're going to fight this thing by our will. Let me read this to you again. The power verse of, of verse 19 says this. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Towards us who believe. Not us who work harder. Not us who strive more. Not us with all of our might that we're going to break free of the chains and we're going to run like the elephants that we are. No, no. Towards us who believe. The power of the resurrection offered to you and to me is communal and it is gospel-centered. It is as we as a group say, here's all of my mess. And you turn and you look at me and say, here's mine. And then we together look at the cross of Jesus and we see him dying there on our behalf with great love for his people and say, my goodness, we are loved even in the midst of our brokenness and our stuff, even though we thought we were left in the jungle with the rain in our face, he loves us and he's come for us. And we together, arm in arm, broken sinners that we are, looking towards the cross of Christ, have the tools of godliness. United as one, pursuing the grace of God towards those who believe. Y'all, have the tools of godliness because Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected. The power of the resurrection is ours. Let me pray for us. Lord God, I thank you that your word is alive and that it's active, that it's sharp, that it cuts us right to the core. I beg God for the sake of everyone in this room, that if there is anyone that is in chains to their sin, that has never by faith laid hold of the gospel of Jesus, that, that they would realize that power has been extended to them, love, grace has been extended to them. And I pray that as a community and as individuals, we would turn our hearts and our lives towards you that this prayer of Paul would be answered for us, that we would look first to God. And that as we do, we would see that there is hope even beyond the grave, that there is immeasurable riches in the inheritance of the saints around us, and that we have been given power upon power upon power, that we might live godly lives to your glory and for our joy. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus that is above all names named in this age or in the age to come. Amen.